0: We'll continue our series through Micah this morning. Please join me in Micah chapter 6. Remember that God has called for His prophet Micah to arise and contend with Israel because God has a controversy with His people. So really we're watching a court scene here in Micah chapter 6. God brings His case to trial and He asks them, O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee, testify against me. And God had been nothing but good to them. Amen. His ways are not heavy. His burden is not heavy. His yoke is not heavy. And yet they still felt the need to forsake God for their false gods. And so God reminded them how He was the one who had done for them what no one else could have done. He called them out and redeemed them. And then he let them know that not only did I redeem you, but I've watched over you since I brought you out. I didn't just bring you out and you're left to yourself, but I've watched over you. I've cared for you. And he says, remember what happened when you were encamped in Shittim and about to go to Gilgal. And God took what would have been a curse and he turned it into a blessing. And that's how good our God is. He had given them the prophets Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help them along. And then when a false prophet wanted to curse them, he couldn't. Because God put his word in his mouth. And he could not speak but what God had told him. And so God takes the curses of this world and he can turn them to where it ends up being a blessing for us. And it's hard when you're going through it, I think, but live long enough you can look back over time and you can see, yeah, I can understand how God was using that in my life to be a blessing to me. And so we just have to trust the Lord. And God had made a promise to their fathers because He said there at the end of verse number 5, You need to to remember what took place because you need to know my righteousness. You're around today not because you're righteous, but because my righteousness has sustained you. I'm the one who's good. I'm the one who has helped. I'm the one who's right and just. And so God wants us to know His righteousness. and, And God, when He makes a promise, He keeps it. He had made a promise unto Abram. He had made a promise unto their fathers. And and God kept those promises. And he's reminding them here, you wouldn't be anything without me. And I love Psalm 103, verse 10. It says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us after our iniquities. What a blessing. God is far better to us than we could ever deserve. He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy, and He is full of compassion. But there eventually comes a breaking point. God is so good and He is so patient, but there comes a point when God will finally have had enough and judgment will come. And so God... He's finally had enough as He's speaking through Micah. He reminds them that He redeemed them, that He watched over them and kept them, but their sinfulness now is, is finally filling up. And God, who is very long-suffering, will eventually have to bring judgment if we're persistent in our wicked living. And He'll deal with it. God will be forced to take action And so God, He he sends Micah here to to plead with with His people. He wanted them to know judgment was on the way. And that unless they repented, there were going to be some severe consequences for the choices they had made. And it was going to affect their children, their grandchildren. You hear me? There's consequences to our decisions, and it can affect lineage. It was after Micah's day that they went into captivity. There was still time, but because they kept persisting, then even those who are alive here would have been dead probably when that took place, and yet it still came. So our decisions today can really have an impact on future generations, and we need to keep that in mind as parents, as grandparents that we're trying to reach another generation of people. And so God's pleading with them, please repent. But if they refused, then God was clear judgment was on the way, and it was going to be severe judgment in this case. Let's begin today, Micah chapter 6, let's read verses 6 through 8. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us now as we study it, may we rightly divide it. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak to each heart as is needed and now open our understanding that we might understand the Scriptures. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. God, having laid out His controversy, pleaded His case, reminding them of His goodness and His watch care over them, we now get a response from the people in verses 6 and 7. Now, it would appear by their response that they understand they are guilty. They can't refute God's goodness towards them. They cannot deny their folly in chasing after strange gods. Therefore, they seem to be seeking for the right action to take in response to these charges that have been laid against them. But are they really? That's really the debate there in verses 6 and 7. What is their attitude? I don't know that we can know for sure, and I'm going to give you my opinion here in just a minute. In their mind, they're viewing more sacrifices as the solution to their sinfulness. That probably sounds familiar to a lot of people. They view sacrifices as the means of appeasing God in this court case here, these charges that are laid against them. And since God is not pleased with us, wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? What would cause God to allow me to come before Him and be right in His sight and be able to bow before Him in His presence? God, what would allow me to do that given what I am? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings? If I were to bring before God... A burnt offering which was to be consumed, would that show God that I understand He's all that I need? Would would that help? Shall I come before God with calves of a year old? If I do like Leviticus 9 says, and I bring the best of my my flock and and I sacrifice this to God and offer it for a sin offering, will God be pleased? What is contained in verse 6 was required under the law. They're not bringing up anything irrational here. These are things that are recorded that God told them to be doing. Um, But what they say in verse 7 was never required in the law. Uh, It says, what if we offer to God thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil, yeah, you could sacrifice rams and all was a part of it, but not to this quantity. God never said, bring me ten thousands and bring me rivers of all. But, but then it's like they, they go off the rails next at the end of verse 7. They take it to the extreme and they ask, shall I give my firstborn? For my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? So they completely go off the rails. What attitude are they saying all of this? I don't know. However, I want to give you my opinion based upon other passages that are contemporary to Micah's day. I believe they might be accusing God that nothing ever seems to be enough for you. It's never enough for you, is it, God? You never seem to be pleased. Even if I gave you my firstborn, the fruit of my body, Would it really satisfy you? Now, that's speculation. I don't know. But I make that observation in light of what some of the other prophets said. Isaiah, who was contemporary with Micah, they were prophesying at the same time. Isaiah 1, verses 11 through 15, it says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity. Even the solemn meeting, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. They sacrificed. Shall we bring sacrifices? God said, I'm full of them. Amos 5, verses 21 and 22, I hate, I despise your feast days. And I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beast. There's many passages actually I could have read there, but it's clear that offering sacrifices was not their problem. It wasn't a matter of, Lord, are are we just not offering enough? I mean, if we brought 10,000 rams and rivers of oil, would you finally be happy? God said, I've had enough of your offerings. I've had enough of your sacrifices. That's not what I'm talking about. So I'm not sure here in Micah 6 if this is a genuine plea. I'm leaning towards that this is them just kind of being put out. What more do you want, God? God? I've given you everything. I've given you burnt offerings. I've given you rams. I've given you all. I've given you. Uh, I'll even give you the the firstborn if that's going to make you happy. Now, where did they get that idea from? We'll get to that in a minute. They they're looking at these sacrifices and they're saying, the only way I know to appease you is to sacrifice. And and God, I. I don't know what else to do. I'll, I'll, I'll keep sacrificing if, if that's what it is that's going to please you. And I was saying before, they could point to God's law and they, on, on the things that they mentioned in verse 6. They could look in God's law and say, I know that God requires burnt offerings and calves of a first year. Uh, that's clear. And, and they could point to God's word for that. But um, why do they go to what they say at the end of verse 7? I'll give you my firstborn. God made it clear not to do this. Deuteronomy 12, 29 through 31 says, When the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whither thou goest to possess them, and thou succeedest them and dwellest in their land, take heed to thyself that thou be not snared by following them after that they be destroyed from before thee, and that thou inquire not after their gods. Saying, How did these nations serve their gods? That's an important question in light of what's happening here in Micah 6. God was looking down the road saying, you know, they're in Deuteronomy. Don't inquire after their gods and don't look at how they're worshiping and going, how do, how do other nations serve their God? And then it says, even so will I do likewise. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. For every abomination, for every abomination to the Lord which he hateth have they done unto their gods For even their sons and their daughters, they have burnt in the fire unto other gods. Leviticus 18.21, And thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. So why did it enter their minds here to even suggest, God, how about we just give you our firstborn, would that please you? I believe it was because they were already so steeped in idolatry. This is what they did in serving their false gods. This is how they learned to sacrifice. They did look to the other nations and they said, how are you serving your gods? Well, maybe we could do the same thing. Otherwise, I don't think it really makes a whole lot of sense here to suggest offering a firstborn apart from the fact that that's what the heathen were doing. And and many in Israel had become... They had adopted that into their worship. Second Kings 16.3 says of Ahaz, But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yea, he made his son to pass through the fire, according to the, the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. Directly contradicting what God said in Deuteronomy. Second 2 Kings 21.6 says of Manasseh, And he made his son pass through the fire, and he observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Even after Micah's day, it got worse. They continued on with this practice. Jeremiah 7.31, And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. Jeremiah 19.5, They have built also the high places of Baal, to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. And then there was the time right there in Jeremiah's day that God raised up Josiah, the king over Judah, a good king. And, and we read in 2 Kings 23.10 that Josiah defiled Toph, Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire to Molech. So here in Micah's day, they are essentially uh, saying, in order for us to try and appease God, the one true God, we should sacrifice to Him just like the pagans do to their gods. But God was clear that this had never even entered His mind for them to do. Now what's the problem with all of this sacrifice talk? God required sacrifices under the law. What's the problem with all of this? The the problem is all of their suggestions are nothing more than external religious exercises. They were more interested in offering sacrifices than giving themselves to God as a living sacrifice. They had a zeal, but without knowledge. And we still see this mindset in our day. Just as Israel figured sacrifices would be able to appease God, so many today are in a religion where they are being taught you have to sacrifice work in order to appease God. We have entire religions built around this. In fact, outside of true Christianity in the Bible, every religion on earth is a works-based, sacrificial-based system. People are looking to their good works. Well, I just believe when I get there, God's going to weigh them out, and if my good outweighs my bad, I'm in. Lord, if, if I just did more good, would that gain me your favor? Would I be able to enter in into your heaven? People look to their baptisms. Well, I wasn't very coherent because I was like newborn, but they took me to the Catholic Church and they sprinkled over my head or poured or something and I was baptized into the Catholic Church and I'm told that that's going to be good enough. People look to their church faithfulness. Well, I've been in church my whole life. I ended up watching this this video in Australia. This guy was interviewing a, a college kid and he was talking about the things of God and 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 he was talking about heaven and, you know, those kind of things. And, and, and the whole thing was, he said, are you a Christian? He goes, yeah. He said, well, have you been born again? He said, well, I, I grew up in a Baptist church. Maybe if I just go to church. Maybe if I just stay faithful to what my parents kind of started. Maybe if I just hook up with this guy. He, he seems to have it together. And, and, and we start looking at all these external things that we think are going to put us in a right standing with God. But Matthew 7, and 23 says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? There's going to be some preachers. And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. Many. Lord, have we not sacrificed for you? Jesus says, Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Even in the final judgment, many are going to say to Christ, Have we not sacrificed? Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? And they will start looking to that as their hopes of gaining favor with God. Paul wrote in Romans 3.20, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. The Bible says it's not of works lest any man should boast. And yet we have these religions that are teaching this philosophy and leading people astray. It's the blind leading the blind. Only Jesus Christ fulfilled God's requirement. We could not fulfill it. And that's why God had to come in the person of Christ to die for our sins. And just like in our text, people today assume that what they need to do when they feel like they're in danger of God's judgment is just ramp up their Christianity a little bit. Everybody with me? Because I know this is going to hit somebody's living room. If I just do a little bit more, mm-hmm. boy, things just aren't going very well, I'm, I'm going to get back in church. Yep. Lives are falling apart, and, and you know if I, just, if I just get back with it, if I just up my sacrificial system, Maybe if I, if I offer this, I offer that, or ten thousands of this, or rivers of that. God will be happy with that, I'm sure. And now it breaks my heart, being on this side of things, watching to see so many people who have come here. Just in the time that I've been pastor, so many people have come in because their life was falling apart, and they figured the only rational thing to do was to offer to God some sort of sacrifice, and God was going to be pleased with that, and everything's going to straighten back out when it didn't work, they left. And it breaks my heart. I left many tears on the altar over it. And it's one of those things where people are looking at at the sacrifices as the means of being right with God. Maybe if I just show up to church again. Maybe if I start reading my Bible again, and maybe if I start giving to the church again, then God's going to be pleased with my sacrifices, and God's going to put the pieces of my life back together. Surely if I just do more, and I just sacrifice more and more, God's going to bless me, and God's going to be pleased with me again. Well, just as there was nothing wrong with giving sacrifices in those days, like they mentioned in verse 6, there's nothing wrong in our day in going to church and reading your Bible and giving to the church. There's nothing wrong with that, but what we find in all of this is, is there can be a problem when we're not doing it with the right heart. It's only a problem when these so-called sacrifices are done in hopes that somehow it's going to stop God's judgment. Listen, we don't do things and obey God because we're trying to appease Him. We ought to do it because we love Him. It's out of a willing heart, a thankful heart. So what we find here is is it's possible for us to give sacrifices without ever having a right heart. You can put the money in the box back there with a terrible heart. And it's like we're looking at all these things going, I just want God to be, um, I just want His judgment to be kept at bay. And, and if I just give, if I get back in the Word of God, if I go to church, if I, if I participate a little bit more. You see, the problem is many don't want God to reach their heart. But they only want God to look on their outward displays of religion. And we'll know we don't have a right heart about our service when we are making sacrifices to God with one hand, while our other hand is trying to hold on to the wickedness of the world. Amen. This was the problem of the harlot spoken of in Proverbs chapter 7. She seduces the young man. And she tells him, I have peace offerings with me. This day I have paid my vows. Now, there's more to it than I'm about to mention. Some of that is because when you did that, you got some of the sacrifice back and you now had food to have a feast. But she tells this young man that she seduces, I, I, I paid my vows. I fulfilled my religious duty. And now she's ready to embark on another round of sin. I hope you can hear what I'm saying when she figured she would be able to deal with her sin down the road with another round of sacrifices. I paid my vows, let's do this. And it'll be okay, because when the next round of sacrifices come around, I'll just confess it then. Yep. Seems like we have a religion that says, if you'll just come in and confess mm-hmm. to a priest, you can have all that you did last night. Taken away, and you're good for another week, or whatever the case is. Now, God had already made it very clear even before Micah's day that he never delighted in sacrifices over obedience. God has always preferred our obedience out of a grateful heart over our sacrifices. 1 Samuel 15, and Samuel said, speaking to Saul, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Psalm 40, and verse 6, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Psalm 51, 16, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. When was that written? After David had an affair and had a man killed. David said, I I, I would give it, but I know it's not what you delight in. Jeremiah 7, verses 22 and 23, For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, concerning burnt offerings or sacrifice but this thing commanded I them saying obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk ye in all the ways that I've commanded you that it may be well unto you God said if you obey it's going to be good for you I learned that lesson growing up did you I don't know so much in these days but uh, yeah dad made it clear you obey it's going to be good you disobey it's not going to be so good Unfortunately, I did a lot of disobeying. But there did come a day when I stopped rebelling against that and I started to really honor my dad and love my dad because I finally realized he was doing it for my good. Some Christians haven't figured that out yet. Well, if God doesn't want their sacrifices, then what did he want from them? Well, it's in in verse 8. We're familiar with this. We sing it on Sunday nights when we sing Scripture songs. Verse 8, He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. I believe in short we could sum this up by saying God was, was not interested in their sacrifices, but He was interested in their heart. It is our heart that is at the heart of the matter. God did not send His man to tell His people, how to increase their sacrifices, how that they might could look better in their religious observances, or how they could sound better in church, or how to do like the pagans around them, or how to do what was popular in the culture of their day. God didn't send His man to tell them what they wanted to hear, or tell them what was convenient. But God sent Micah to tell them what was good and what the Lord required of them. You see, God wanted change instead of confession. God wanted their heart instead of their sacrifices. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him, and to serve the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I commanded thee this day for thy good. (laughs) And so Micah is saying, stop looking to the sacrifices as your means to please God. God's already shown you what you ought to be doing. If you want to please God, then this is what God requires. Do justly. Love mercy and walk humbly with thy God. God wanted them to do justly or God wanted justice and righteousness in the land. Remember, this was one of the major indictments laid against them in this book. In chapter 2, they coveted fields and houses. And through oppression and violence, they were taking away people's inheritances. Remember in chapter 3, how the princes, the priests, and the prophets had all been corrupted by money. The princes judged for reward, the priests taught for hire, and the prophets foretold for money. Isaiah 1, 16 and 17, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. That's what it looks like to do justly. You take care of the fatherless. And the widows, isn't that what James says is pure religion and undefiled before God? God wanted them to love mercy. He wanted them to extend kindness to each other, be tender-hearted by forgiving one another. Hosea six six: For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Jesus gave the parable in Matthew eighteen of the man who owed the king. 10,000 talents, I'm sure you remember. Um, But the man couldn't pay. And so the Lord commanded, the king commanded, have him sold along with his wife and children so that I can get my money and this debt can be paid. But the servant, he fell down before his master and he began to beg for patience and says, I will repay you, just give me some time. Well, the Lord of that servant, he was moved with compassion, the Bible says, and he forgave him the debt. But then the same servant who had been forgiven 10,000 talents, he, he goes out and he finds one who owed him 100 pence. Now I didn't do the math on the difference between 10,000 talents and 100 pence, but I'm sure it's quite extreme, just by how it sounds. And he took him by the throat. And he demanded that he pay him back. And, and though that man who owed him 100 pence, he asked for the exact same thing that the man who owed 10,000 talents had asked the king. The man who had been forgiven, he threw the other man in prison. In Matthew 18, verses 32 through 35, Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, If ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. God wants us to be merciful to each other. Amen? Somebody offends, we forgive. How often, Lord? Seven times? Seventy times seven. We need to be merciful. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That's the measuring stick. How do we forgive? The same way Christ forgave us. What did He forgive you of? Everything. <laughs> and He didn't hold a grudge, and He didn't bring it back up, and He cast it away and washed it away. And I know we, we can't forget like God, but boy, we could sometimes do a lot better at forgiving people. Amen. And the final requirement given here was to walk humbly with God. I just first want to say how wonderful is it that God would actually want to walk with us. What a blessing just to know Him, to walk with Him. So it's not about religious sacrifice, but it's about a relationship with God. It's it's not about our confession, our baptism, our, our giving, our whatever, foot washing, amen, whatever you want to throw in there. But it's about a relationship with God. In order to walk with God, we need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves by agreeing with God. Amos 3.3. 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Luke 18, verses 13 and 14. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. James 4, 6 and 8 says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So we have to walk humbly with our God. and Realize that you can slip at any time. Don't walk pridefully. The Bible warns of that and says if you do, um, take heed lest you fall. Now, just to be clear, what what we've covered today in in verse 8, these are not requirements to be justified. But these are what will take place in the life of somebody who has been justified. Who has a right heart with God. God just wants your heart this morning. Don't trust your sacrifices. If there's anybody here lost and you're, you're counting on God, it's just going to smile on me because I've, I've, I've overall been a good person. God needs your heart. Don't trust your sacrifices, but give yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Psalm fifty-one, seventeen: the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Let's pray.